Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. That they were able to form a militia and show that the war, really, particularly for the Southern Campaign General, is not just a high command war. That these men who live by the Yankton River, these men who uh, just are local militia, are able to step in and want to fight. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Travis Copeland talking about the Battle of Shallow Ford. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the University of Pennsylvania Press, publishers of Captives of Liberty, Prisoners of War and the Politics of Vengeance in the American Revolution by T. Cole Jones, available wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Travis Copeland, talking about the Battle of Shallow Ford, one of the little-known battles, but very important battles, of the Carolina backcountry during the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution. I am a sucker for battle uh, analysis, uh, for battle summaries, and Travis Copeland has really provided us at www.allthingsliberty.com of course the homepage for the Journal of the American Revolution a really first rate look at a battle that a lot of people quite frankly haven't heard about he talks about why it's important he talks about how it connects to the larger revolutionary war and I think most importantly how it helps us understand the entire southern campaign in a more clear way So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Travis Copeland. Travis Copeland, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your background. So I am a resident of North Carolina. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, Actually lived near the Yakin River, uh, which I referenced in my article. And uh, I spent a lot of time outside, loved reading, loved local history, um, just kind of have fostered those things ever since. Uh, that love for history that I had in my younger years turned into um, studying that in high school, and then I ended up majoring it in college. I went to a small liberal arts school in North Carolina and studied history and philosophy, and uh, I'm now teaching at a classical school in North Carolina. I teach humanities there, and I'm currently pursuing my graduate degree at Missouri State University in history with a particular interest uh, in North Carolina history, revolutionary through Civil War history. So I I love history, but I also really love uh, the state of North Carolina. What first drew your interest into this topic? So I first encountered this, as I've said, just kind of the myth, lore, fact that's mixed up in some of the more local events of the revolution. And having grown up on the western side of the state, I heard so many different uh, pieces of the story that were brought together uh, between people who lived in the area and people who had read different things on the event. And so with those in mind, I took a undergraduate class and the Southern campaign of the American revolution just drew me in. I was so caught up by green and Gates and Tarleton that 
I was so, so captivated. I did my college thesis on Green's command, and I just noticed more references, and they were footnotes to this battle of the shallow forward. And I began just kind of digging and researching and reading because there were pieces here and pieces there. And I, I started to realize that it was more than just a footnote, but that it had a full, full story to be told. And there were so many different pieces that were kind of undiscovered or left to their own uh, devices to be interpreted. And so uh, having all of those put together and telling that story fully, I think, really helps understand the Southern campaign. It helps us understand 1780. And so just as I was kind of uncovering those little pieces and the story started to come together, I thought this really has to has to be presented in a full full narrative. So um, that was really the first initial attraction I had to it and, uh, and the Southern campaign in general. What was the state of the war in 1780? Yeah, so starting with kind of the northern sphere, the British decided to transition their attention to the south. Uh, there were rumors that the south had more loyalists, the south would, uh, would turn and kind of rise up out of the back country, out of the low country in support of the British. And so the British make that transition beginning in 1778, 1779, seeking to change and shift the war really in their advantage. So by the time we get to 1780, a lot of bleak events have happened for the Patriot cause. Uh, the British take Georgia, uh, Savannah specifically in 1779, begin working their way uh, into the mainland they also take Charlestown in May of 1780, and uh, they also take Camden, or they defeat Gates at Camden in uh, August of 1780 as well. And so these string of defeats mean things like Benjamin Lincoln, the South Carolina commander, is captured at Charlestown in 1780, and uh, he's taken from the scene. General Gates, Horatio Gates, who was point appointed by the Continental Congress to command the Southern Campaign. He is in charge when he suffers this defeat in August of 1780, and he flees the battlefield, and his fleeing kind of brings some shame and, and disregard for himself and the Continental Army in the face of uh, the British commander, Lord Charles Cornwallis. And so these string of defeats kind of bring the patriots to a low morale point. Uh, maybe it is true that the British are going to be able to bring the southern states back into submission and they're going to bring able to bring the colonies uh, and use them against maybe even the northern colonies and so there's this concern what is the morale what is what is the responsibility of the uh, the common everyday colonial soldiers here um, because so many major figures have been taken off the scene, Benjamin Lincoln, Horatio Gates. And so you also begin to see as these events take place that it becomes kind of a militia-driven event because Gates is gone and Lincoln's gone in some respects. There it begins to see a rise in militia counties and uh, local groups begin to form up and take cities and towns and begin marching to join other commanders. And so there's a drive, a kind of turn, if you will, from continental command to a very heavy militia driven, small skirmishes and battles. This is the same time where we really get notable men like um, Sumter and Marion in South Carolina. And so we find the war and we find the Patriots really depleted by these string of defeats uh, as we come into the middle of the seventh year, 1780. Could you discuss the importance of Charles Cornwallis's occupation of Charlotte, it seems to be a tipping point in the region. 
So I, uh, and I'll give it just a plug here, Scott Seifert and Ian Saberton's articles were really helpful to me in the archives of the Journal of the American Revolution. Uh, they did a really good job kind of outlining this. Uh, and Charlotte is extremely interesting. It's a courthouse at the time. Uh, today, it's a large, well-known city, but it's a small courthouse located in southern North Carolina, just off the Catawba River, almost to the South Carolina, into South Carolina. And it rec- represents kind of a, a literal and a metaphorical importance, because at this point, as we've said, the British have had so many victories, uh, most recently over Gates at Camden, that the occupation of Charlotte uh, will represent a real significant blow to morale. And that particularly comes through the fact that uh, the British commanders had called it the hornet's nest. It was so ardently patriot that the British commanders were concerned and they began to give it names. They found it hard to, uh, to control. But when they finally occupy it, they run through the courthouse and run off uh, some of the local militia and, and soldiers that were present. Uh, it represents a big take for the British because they were occupying a major patriot center. And they're also uh, at the highest point of some of those forts, 96, that moved through South Carolina into Georgia. And so this strategic point that has been taken by the British allows the uh, British to move well from within their fortified positions throughout the South. And then it uh, just metaphorically represents the defeat of a large group of patriots as the hornet's nest is. And so the, the patriot militia have to begin to realize that the British are continuing to take advances. Something is going to need to be done to turn this war back around in the South. Something's going to need to be done uh, to turn the morale back and to win maybe even a small victory of kind. And so um, uh, Charlotte is also important because this is where the Surrey County militia that we will uh, we'll talk about a bit more are going when, uh, when the Battle of the Shallow Ford takes place. So Cornwall- Cornwallis is in Charlotte, and it's a good central location for loyalists to begin meeting him and gathering and making their way there to continue to strengthen his position and his army. And so that occupation allows a central location for the, uh, the building up of the British army as well. And so that's where the Surrey County militia will be headed at the time of the battle. What did the Patriot Command hope to accomplish given this pretty tenuous situation? I think the Patriots, uh, they have kind of two intentions in part. Uh, one of them would be to halt the advance of some of those militias that are making their way to Charlotte. Uh, they want to stop uh, Cornwallis from continuing to, to grow his um, army. But also they began to help him understand, as, as was true of the war in the north, is that um, it is not necessarily a formally European-style war, that the occupation of a town though significant, is not the end-all, be-all. And so their uh, continued grit and fighting and presenting themselves as uh, still very much uh, fighting for their freedom and liberty, fighting for their independence, uh, will demonstrate that they are still willing to put up a fight, willing to contend, even though Cornwallis has made some of these and the British have made some of these major advancements. So they're really seeking to maintain a hold, but also to show themselves still a uh, a formidable force that's going to take more than the occupation of maybe a town or a few victories. Um, And they also want to uh, maintain a hold so that Gates, or uh, eventually it will be Nathaniel Green later on, uh, can take command uh, in a sure footing, or at least in a a way that could be won by the Patriot victory. 
Um, and they just want to demonstrate, generally speaking, that uh, the war is not won in this particular instance. This will be a challenging battle. Americans fighting Americans. Who's in command on either side, and, and what do they hope to achieve? Yeah, so on the Patriot side, we have several commanders. Uh, we have Major Joseph Cloyd, who is of the Virginia Continental Command. He's from the Virginia Tidewater. He has a more formal command. So he has a breakdown of captains and colonels uh, under his command. He's going to have a, a little more ordered division. Uh, and he's going to be commanding in Virginia at the time before he makes his way over. So he's a little more of the gentry level. He uh, and, and it shows something that he's from Virginia that it has he has to be brought in to uh, help fight this battle because the North Carolina command is, is somewhat in disarray. But there's also some men who step in on the Patriot side as well. So we have Colonel Joseph Williams and John Peasley. Colonel Joseph Williams actually lives on the Yadkin River by the shallow ford. He received his commission as a colonel from Richard Caswell, the governor of North Carolina in 1779, when he went to kind of demarcate the colonial line between Virginia and North Carolina. And so he's going to play an important militia role. He knows the terrain, he knows the land, he knows uh, who he can draw in to help fight this battle. And uh, he's a resident of, of the shallow ford at the time of the battle. And he's also joined uh, by John Peasley, who was sent by another commander uh, from another portion of North Carolina to recruit. So Joseph Williams and John Peasley will team up together and they will begin recruiting kind of around the shallow ford using their knowledge and abilities. Uh, and those will, those three men, Colonel Joseph Cloyd, uh, Major Joseph Cloyd, Colonel Joseph Williams and John Peasley will, will work together in the Patriot Command. In contrast, the Loyalists are commanded by two brothers. Uh, Gideon and Hezekiah Wright. So Gideon Wright and Hezekiah Wright were both French and Indian War veterans. They have repeatedly, just through different actions, shown themselves very much in favor of the British government, uh, any kind of uh, royal governor put in place over North Carolina uh, in the regulator movement and those kind of things. Gideon Wright helped to establish the county seat of Surrey County. So they both command the Surrey County militia, which is a large section of land at the time. Uh, in that western portion just above the Yankin. And those two men are uh, pivotal in the government in that area. They're pivotal in their uh, veteran status as French and Indian War veterans. And show, so they're going to take command. They're going to be really good also at drawing in loyalist uh, militia uh, and then moving them through and commanding them well. But we have kind of that difference there with something of a continental command in uh, Major Cloyd and the veteran status of Gideon Wright and Hezekiah Wright. And so these five commanders are all going to kind of meet in this battle on October 14th. Take us through the strategic goals of the Loyalists and Patriots along the Yadkin River at Shallow Ford. So the Ford is, the Yadkin has a north and a fourth, uh, south fork. And so it's a, it's a rather wide river. Uh, it has some really deep spots. It's It's rather difficult to navigate at times. And so the Ford is a strategic point for crossing. Uh, and it's also on the Great Wagon Road. So there's an easy route of travel and it runs all the way from Pennsylvania to Georgia. It's an easy place for troop movements, particularly if there's artillery, uh, any kind of horses, 
it allows you to easily cross back and forth. And so unlike some of the other rivers in North Carolina or other uh, places that would need to be crossed, the Yakin sits very much in the way. Uh, some rivers can be traveled around, but when you're moving from Georgia to Virginia, or if you're going from the uh, western side of North Carolina to the eastern side, the Yakin sits very much in your way. And so there's not necessarily an occupation of the ford. Uh, there are continual men moving back and forth over it. There's a, a watchful eye that the patriots in western North Carolina keep over it. Uh, men are constantly going in and out. But for the most part, their strategic goal is to um, meet anybody there. It's kind of, uh, it, it functions a bit as a bottleneck in sorts because it allows, uh, and just like in this battle, it allows them to uh, come head to head with, with people because it is so significant. But ultimately they want to maintain uh, that area as Patriot control because it is so important for getting North and South and East and West. And so the Patriots are going to, be writing all the Patriot commands will write constantly about who is responsible or has heard anything from the area of the shallow ford. And as the Surrey County militia began burning and pillaging, running through the countryside, they pay particular attention to that ford as a place that they might use to move south to join Cornwallis in Charlotte. We've reached the moment. The battle is here. It's a short battle. What happens? So the battle begins uh, kind of in two parts. The first part is uh, the initial engagement, and then there are some other recruits brought in. So uh, the Wright brothers bring roughly 400 Tories or so down to the shallow ford, and they are north of the Yadkin. Uh, They move through to cross the shallow ford headed for Charlotte. And the the news arrives that they're moving towards that shallow ford, and uh, Major Cloyd of Virginia, the Continental Commander, uh, he arrives at the battle, and when he gets there, he engages immediately. The battle takes about an hour or so to fight. He immediately engages. There are some men in the water. There are some men who are moving onto the road, and uh, there immediately begins firing. Some men are t- hunkered behind trees on the bank, uh, and the very exposed men begin kind of fleeing onto the road. Some of them come back off of the road and begin fighting, shooting into the the bank on the other side of the river at the same time that this is going on, there's a, the loud noise draws uh, Colonel Williams and Peasley who have been recruiting at the time. They have been keeping close contact. They know that the Wright brothers are really in the area. And so they've, they've been pressing to try to recruit. So they bring in 300 local militia. As soon as they hear the firing, they begin charging after the battle and they arrive about the second half of the battle, the second part of the battle. And as soon as they join in, they allow for the push of the Surrey County or the the Loyalist militia out. They begin driving them back. And so these 300 militia militia who know the area, know the terrain, uh, join in and begin pushing the militia back off. Um, This is a quick battle in part, but there's also uh, kind of some lore around it. Uh, At one point, we do know that Captain uh, Henry Francis, the Virginia of Virginia, Cloyd's men, uh, is shot and, and killed, and there are 13 loyalists killed. But um, according to lore, and it, it's hard to, to pin this down exactly with, with the, uh, the sources, but that his son immediately fired back as soon as he was killed in order to try uh, to seek justice for his father. But uh, Henry Francis is buried there just on the ford. 
uh, he was buried soon after the battle in honor of his giving his life. He was the only Patriot killed. But as soon as they began driving them back, as soon as Colonels Joseph Williams and John Peasley arrived, they began driving back the Surrey County militia and they began pursuing them into the woods. And the, they just began fleeing. There's no orderly retreat of any kind. They pursued north as far as they can find them. There are a number of Patriots who, who capture loyalists and take them prisoner more than are killed there are 13 loyalists killed as i said and even more than that are captured and the result is kind of this disarrayed battlefield the maintain because two groups cloyd's men of virginia and williams men have kind of joined together some of them pursue some of them maintain to capture prisoners uh, and, and uh, deal with the dead and so there's kind of this big array uh, and chaos at the end but in the end, it drives off the Surrey County militia. It doesn't allow them to reform. It doesn't allow them to maintain any contact with one another. Uh, and the result is a sounding, a strong Patriot victory. What is the outcome of Shallow Ford? So the outcome is that the Surrey County militia, who have been for months now driving through the countryside, just harassing communities, are disbanded. They were headed for Charlotte, and Cornwallis is a force to evacuate Charlotte. Uh, they are not able to support him in that way, and they're driven off. So not only is, does the battle halt their advance to Charlotte, but it halts their destruction in that western portion uh, of the state. And uh, there is a uh, appeal for the Surrey County militia, any of the men who fought in the battle, to lay down their arms, that they would be uh, paroled, they would not be uh, punished for their actions. Um, and we're not exactly sure who uh, took up on that. Um, the, the sources are a bit vague on that. But the result is that uh, the Patriots win a victory that was much needed at a time when morale was down. They were able to demonstrate um, without a real, maybe notable commander that we would easily recognize today, that they were able to form a militia, uh, stop a advancing loyalist party, and show that the war really, particularly for the Southern Campaign General, is not just a high command war, that these men who live by the Yankton River, these men who uh, just are local militia are able to step in and want to fight and show that the war is really more than just a war for the aristocracy, but a war for the individual liberties of the individual people in the colonies and in the South in particular, which was thought of by the British at the time to be a very loyalist, heavy uh, community. And so it, it demonstrates the very uh, nitty gritty of the Southern campaign. And it shows us that the Southern campaign was uh, very civil war oriented, that the brother uh, was fighting, your local community was fighting a local community, brother against brother. And, uh, and it shows us the importance of, of the militia's ability to step in here. And that morale, along with the Battle of Kings Mountain victory, really lifts the Patriots' cause. And it's noted by the North Carolina Congress at the time and the Board of War that these were two, Kings Mountain and the Battle of the Shower Ford, were two really significant events for their morale at the time because so many string victories had been for the British, these two victories to have been for the Patriots played a significant role. But I think it particularly shows the importance of the militia uh, in the war, and that each man was willing to give himself up completely, give his life for the, the cause of independence from the British. Travis Copeland, thank you for joining us.
Thank you for having me. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long. <laughs>